0: Students Podcast. My name is J.T. Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that the sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Uh We've been uh, studying the book of Acts. And like I said before worship, I want to give you an opportunity at the end of this sermon to respond to Jesus, to give your life to him. And the reason why I'm keeping you junior hires in here is because though it's great to have fun, maybe to go to our life groups, I don't want Satan to take this moment away after Kevin's testimony and after worship to maybe distract you from things that really matter, pressing things eternity, heaven, hell. Whether or not you're a Christian or whether or not you're a Pharisee or whether or not you don't know and you're broken and you need help, you're anxious, you're worrisome, you're depressed and you don't know where to turn. You don't know where to look. And so tonight, I hope that I could give you somewhere to look <laughs> okay so turn with me to Acts chapter 2 we've been in the book of Acts and the question I want to ask tonight and the question, the, the question that is answered in our text is how do you become a Christian how does a sinner become a Christian true or false is it by going to church True or false? Is it by being a good person? True or false? Do you become a Christian because your parents are Christians? False. Do you become a Christian by reading your Bible and by praying and by serving and by... Obeying the Ten Commandments. False. How do you become a Christian then? Is it some experience that you have to have? False. It's not a euphoric feeling. It's a real reality. How do you become a Christian? That's a good question, right? How how many of you have thought about that recently? I haven't. But in studying this text, it becomes clear that this is what is trying to be answered. And those of you that were here, the last two weeks, we first learned that Jesus must ascend into heaven. And then when Jesus ascends into heaven, we learn that the Holy Spirit descends. And then now the gospel goes out. So before the gospel could go out, before there's an awakening, the Holy Spirit must descend and that's what i'm praying for each and every one of you tonight that in order for you to receive the gospel first and foremost you must be awakened by the holy spirit the holy spirit must awaken you you must be born again god is the one who saved sinners god is the one who saved me the holy spirit is the one who brought conviction to kevin and to all of you who have received christ We love God because he first loved us. That's right. And so we must keep that in mind as we turn to Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 13, let me remind you. The Holy Spirit descends and the disciples are now speaking in different languages. And people from all over the world, every nation, is now hearing the gospel for the very first time in their own native tongue. But people began mocking them. Look at verse 12. And all the people were amazed and perplexed, saying, No one other, uh, sorry, amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking them, said, They are filled with new wine. Look at these drunkards. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And here is the first sermon. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. But this, what is happening, was uttered through the prophet Joel thousands of years before. When he said Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. This is symbolic language of judgment and salvation. And the sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes. That great day at Pentecost. That magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, Peter is saying what, what is happening was prophesied. What Joel was talking about is what's happening right now. Verse 22. So men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This Jesus You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, the chains of death and sin, because it was not possible for death to hold him. For David even says, he prophesied concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's not dead. But this Jesus, verse 32, God raised up. And how do we know this? Of that, we are all witnesses. We are eyewitnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this promise that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And here's the thesis, the main punch. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and all the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. For the promise, this promise, this grace, this gospel is for you and for your children and for all and any who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How do you become a Christian? Four things. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need a new life. And it's all by grace. Those are the four points we're going to look at tonight. First, you need a new heart. After the sermon, Peter gets up. He's the obvious leader of the group of the disciples. And there's multitudes of crowds there. It's the day of Pentecost. So millions of Jews from all over the the world have come from every nation. And he preaches to them this message. He proves that what's happening with this speaking in tongues is a fulfillment of the prophet Joel's prophecy. And then what he does is he goes to, uh, to preach on the resurrection of Jesus that even David prophesied of the resurrection. Do you see in verse 27, he says this, David is, how, how is he saying this? How is David saying this? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. See the word holy one? Well, if David is talking about himself, that's obviously not true because he's in the grave so who's he talking about? And Peter is drawing us back to this prophecy and he's telling the Jews, look, you misread the scriptures. What was said by the prophets and by David is being fulfilled and was fulfilled by Christ who rose again. We're eyewitnesses. And now we know that He he's risen again and he's ascended because of what the Holy Spirit is doing now. That the gospel's going out in every language. And so the Jews, obviously seeing this, the people there, they're convicted. Because they murdered their Messiah. And what does it say? What's their response? How do you become a Christian? Look at verse 37. It starts here. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? Cut to the heart they were pierced to the heart they were spiritually pierced there's this inner anguish and pain that they felt of guilt piercing them wow what's piercing them why why are they being pierced why the word the word of god and the spirit the holy spirit are exposing their guilt before god and to themselves and what is the cause of this? Look at verse 23 and 36. I think these two lines here are, are the things that just, they, they pierce their hearts and they should pierce ours. He says this, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, that is the Romans. And verse 36 let all the house of Israel, let all Redeemer students know that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. And when they heard that, when they heard the law spoken, it pierced their hearts. And that's exactly what the law does. A law is a tutor that points you to Christ. Well, what's the law? The Ten Commandments. We'll start there. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not worship in a way that doesn't honor me. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Thou thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall honor your father and mother. For this command comes with a promise that your days will be long in the land. You shall not murder. You shall not hate your brother, Jesus says, for hatred in the heart is committing murder. You shall not commit adultery for even lusting after a man or a woman in your heart is committing adultery before God. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You may not lie. One lie is enough to send you to hell. You may not covet or desire what someone else has. So I ask you the question, when you put yourself up against the law there, how do you measure up? For James 2.10 says that if you break one law, you're guilty of all of it. And so the law of God pierces the heart And when I read those commands and you recognize even this week how you have failed, every broken command, I want you to hear the pounding of the nails into Jesus's wrists and feet. Every sin that you commit is a lash to the back of Christ. How is it that that, that Peter could say, you crucified him to Jews who were not in Jerusalem to even yell, crucify him? How is it that they're responsible when they were not there? The same reason Osama bin Laden was responsible for 9-11 even though he didn't fly a plane into the building. He's the mastermind. You may not have said crucify him with your lips but your lives have said crucify him. Every broken law Every moment you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every moment you have not loved your neighbor, your sibling, your parent, as yourself is you saying to Christ, crucify him. And so they're cut to the heart. You need a new heart. You see, the heart is desperately sick. It's wicked, Jeremiah 17:9. It's dead, it's a hardened heart. As we heard from Kevin, his heart was. Hardened towards the Lord. Resentful. Has your heart been cut? This feeling of anguish and deep despair, this intense inner pain they felt. I heard a story regarding a dear family in our church of their grandparents who recently passed away within a week of each other. I don't know why the grandmother died. But she died first. And a week later, the grandfather passed away. And we do know why he passed away. It was due to heart failure. But you know what caused his heart failure? The doctor said it was his heart failed due to a broken heart over his wife passing away. I thought such a good illustration he he's with the lord but he literally died inside that's what the law does when it convicts you of sin and they see what they have done they die because of because they murdered their savior because they crucified him they were cut to the heart and when god saves a sinner when god saves you when god has saved some of you and i pray saves you tonight what happens is your heart is pierced with the word in such a way that you feel like your whole soul is laid bare before God to see all of your iniquities and all of your hidden sins. And you're broken over it. And this broken heart is caused by the Holy Spirit. That's a good sign. <laughs> At that point, you just need to run to Jesus so that he binds up your heart, which is exactly what Peter calls them to do. The word of God is the spiritual scalpel to your heart. And the Holy Spirit is the surgeon. Has your heart been cut open? Have you been given a new heart? Listen to this promise, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is the promise of the gospel. This is what happens when... When someone gets saved, I will remove your heart of stone, your dead heart, your cold heart to the Lord, your resentful and angry heart, and I will give you a heart that is alive, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you then to walk in my law, to obey my rules. And so look at the text in verse 27, sorry, 37. When they heard this message that they have broken God's law, they were cut to the heart. And what was their response? Brothers, what must we do? It's like when you finally realize you have a sickness and you can't hold it in anymore. You have to go to a doctor. But some of you have been coming here for years And you are sick with a disease that you don't even know that you have. You're asymptomatic. You have the outward signs of health, but inside you're diseased. You need a doctor. And that's exactly who Peter is. That's what I'm trying to be for you. A doctor to give you the truth, because I love you, but then to point you to the source, to the cure. You need a new heart. And the Holy Spirit, when he saves a sinner, he gives you a new heart with new desires. That's the first thing. Second, second. how do you become a Christian? You need a new mind. And all these things, it's not like you, need, you get a heart and you get a mind later and then a life later. They all happen at the same time, okay? You need a new mind. Look at verse 38. Brothers, my, what, what shall we do? What's Peter's answer? What's the first word he says? Say it loud. Repent. 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 You know, I got to go right now. I got to leave. But make sure you repent. Have you repented? It's Kevin's story. That's my story. Repent. What does this word mean? The word literally means, repentance literally means to have a change of mind. You need a new mind. Becoming a Christian isn't some euphoric feeling. We're all into feelings. We live in a therapeutic culture. Now, for those of you that are younger, therapeutic means that we just want you to feel good about yourself. We live in a culture that just wants you to feel good. And then if you're feeling bad, it's not because of you, it's because of everything outside of you. You're the pure one. We gotta, you know, your your heart is pure, which we just learned it's not. (laughs) It's not some feeling, but rather, becoming a Christian entails the renewing of your mind. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is clear all throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's in just a few pages over in the New Testament. Romans 8, 7 says that the sinner's mind is hostile to God. The sinner, Romans 8, 7 says, cannot obey God. They cannot submit to God. They're unable to because their minds are so darkened by their sins and their hearts are dead. Look what uh, 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 14 says about the person who does not have Jesus, the natural person. He says, Paul writing says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're the people saying, they're drunk with the Holy Spirit. They're mocking. They don't accept what's happening. They don't accept the gospel. Why? Why? Because they're folly to him. And he, this natural person, is not able, does not have the ability to understand the things of the spirit. Because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, Christians, have the mind of Christ. You need a new mind. You need the mind of Christ. And this is what repentance is. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. It's given to you by God. God gave you, if you're a Christian, repentance. And when you repent, what happens is this. It's when a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. When he sees the uh, mercy of God, he with grief and hatred of his sin turns from it to God with full purpose of new obedience. There's a change of mind. There's a turning from sin. So what does this change of mind look like in three ways? First, when you become a Christian, your mind changes about the scriptures. You You start to read scriptures with a whole new lens. The Jews, for the first time, saw that Scripture is fulfilled in Christ, but they missed it their whole life. My whole middle school upbringing, I was just like you. I went to school, went to church, I knew, I got got all the badges in Awana, even if I stole them, with no one one knowing. I wanted to look like that good Christian. I had all the badges, I knew all the verses, I knew what to say, But my mind was not open. I missed it. The Jews had missed it. Missed it so much so that when the Messiah came, they crucified him. But as you see, one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit, we see this in the way that the apostles interpret the Old Testament, is that they see Christ at the center of all of it. And when you begin to read the scriptures as a new believer, the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind and your heart to see Christ everywhere. Everywhere. Your mind must change about the scriptures. You could read it, but not be saved. It reminds me of the story of this rich Ethiopian man. Traveled to Jerusalem, he bought a scroll, and he's reading Isaiah, and he's talking about this suffering servant. Who is this guy who suffers, who takes sin? And he just doesn't get it, until the Holy Spirit gets hold of Philip and says, Go, go. Go to this Ethiopian eunuch and tell him of the gospel. And he opens the scriptures to him and then he sees for the first time that Christ is his savior. And so you have to, uh, when you receive a new mind, your mind changes when you read the scriptures. Second, there's a change of mind about yourself. When you repent, you start to see yourself for who you really are. That's what repentance happens. You see your sin. You have sorrow, deep sorrow for your sin. You confess your sin. You feel shame for your sin. You hate your sin and you turn from sin. You finally come to grips with who you really are. That's what happened to Kevin as he shared. He thought he was saved. Until the Holy Spirit showed him, <laughs> no, you are lost. Repent, Peter says. This is something amazing happened this last Sunday. Sam and Kevin were both praying for an individual. God would use the baptism to open his heart. And afterwards, The Lord opened His heart to see. Hmm, I may not be a Christian. I pray that happens to some of you who think that you're saved. You need the Holy Spirit. Where you, those that were there at Easter when Pastor John is preaching and they're hearing the message and they realize that they are lost, that they are damned to hell unless they repent, they change their mind about yourselves. You no longer see yourself as the good guy, (laughs) but you see your sin for what it truly is. And, And true repentance always leads to Jesus. It always leads you back to Jesus like the prodigal son. We know he truly repented. Why? Because he went home. And that's the thing. I pray for you tonight that you would repent and turn to Jesus by faith, trusting in him. Isaiah 55, 7 says this. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly forgive. So, forsake your sin, turn from your sin, but return to good works, return to church, return to youth group, return to your. No, return to the Lord. Because you're far off. That's what repentance is. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes inside of a sinner. You're given a new mind. You finally see. You're changed from the inside out. And you genuinely change. And this leads to the third point. You're given new life. New life. How do you become a Christian? The Holy Spirit must come upon you and give you a new heart, a new mind, and a new life. Look at verse 38. Where do I get this in the text? Verse 38. Brothers, what shall we do? They cry out and Peter said to them, repent, turn from your sin, flee the wrath of God and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. Now, When you become a Christian, we'd ask you to be baptized. If you are a Christian, you should be baptized. But what I want to talk about is what baptized signifies. It's a sign. You guys know what a sign is. A sign, you know, as you're driving on the road, and it says dead end. The sign is not the dead end, right, Gordy? That's not where the dead end is, but what is it doing? It's pointing to the dead end. It's pointing somewhere else. Well, in the same way, baptism is a sign. It's meant to show you something. It's meant to point you somewhere else. And so what does this baptism mean? Well, it means a new life. It's a public declaration. When Kevin got baptized on Sunday, a public declaration of your new life in Christ. A new life in Christ. That's what it is. That's what Peter's calling them to Make public the fact that you are a Christian. It's a sign to the world that you have been forgiven, that the water doesn't wash away your sins, but it's a picture that Jesus has washed away your sins. That you have received the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit first comes inside of you, saves you, and then you are baptized. And so what do we learn from this? Three things. Baptism is a public breakup with your old self. You guys seen those public breakup movies or shows? Not movies, that's weird. A whole movie dedicated to breakups. Be entertaining, but actually really sad. Baptism is the public breakup. When you get in the waters, what you're saying to every single person in that church is, I'm no longer married to my old self. I'm no longer married to Adam and to my sin. I'm breaking up with it. It's gone. It's done. And the way that you break up with it is by being baptized as a sign and you go under the water. So how did this breakup go? What does this mean spiritually? The word baptism literally has the imagery of taking someone and literally pushing them under the water and holding them down under until they die. Good thing we don't do that on Sunday. (laughs) I thought Matt was maybe going to hold you in a little bit but he didn't. He pulled you right out. That's good. But that's what it's signifying. That's what the public declaration is, is. My old self, my old sin, my old life is dead. It's in the ground. It's Buried with Christ. I saw one baptism video. This person tried to baptize someone and they didn't put their arm up. I usually, if, you, if I baptize you, I'm like, put your arm up. Well, they, they were in the, well, the lady didn't put her arm up and so he just grabbed her by the nose. and just put her, <laughs> He just pushed her head right there, and she didn't even get under the water. That's, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a full on, I'm done with my life public breakup but at the same time it's a public marriage you're declaring to the whole church that i am married to jesus christ don't think about it romantically think about it spiritually i'm brought into a union with him i'm no longer in union with my sin i'm in union with christ and what does it say what does peter say in verse 38 he says be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ you take on a new name this last week, some of you were there, but we got the opportunity to celebrate a wedding. Joy and Derek Wettstein's wedding. Who was there? Who got to be there? Okay, some of you. Corey, you were there. You gave a speech, man. Job. You know why I love weddings? I love when the bride comes out and she just looks beautiful, just dressed in an elegant, beautiful, white dress. You see her smile, right? And she's being walked down the aisle. And where are her eyes? They're on her husband. And you look at the husband, and you see the smile, sometimes the tears. What is this picture? This is, I always think about this, that, When Christ returns and and the bride of Christ is presented to him, the church, that we are that bride coming to see Jesus. This is what baptism is pointing to in a lot of ways. I've I've been brought into union, a new union with someone. And you see Jesus' face just lit up. So excited to receive you into his family forevermore. That's what baptism is showing us. Joy Peterson became Joy Wettstein. She took on a new name. Everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You must publicly renounce, break up with your old self. And then you're given a new family, a new name, a new, a new master. And then you make public vows to new obedience. This is what he's talking about. You're given new, a new life. Romans 6.4 says this, We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too be raised or walk in newness of life. Application. There are some of you in here who declare your love for Jesus while you are sleeping with the world. You need to repent. You've made a, maybe a public vow. But behind the scenes. You know. And your conscience is bearing witness right now to you. You know that you're not married to Christ. You're married to your sin. Peter is calling them to repent. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Turn from the slave master of your sin who will only leave you unsatisfied and unfulfilled and come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Have you received a new heart, a new mind, and a new life? Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your life will change. When you meet the living God, the Holy Spirit, your life is transformed. Who would believe me if I went outside to Windsor, while like you're all in here, and i standing out in the road, and I just get hit by a semi. And I come back in here, and I begin my sermon again, I was like, hey guys, I just got hit by a semi. You're like, no you didn't, because you're there. (laughs) You're not on the road. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's that semi that flattens you. It cuts you to the heart. It changes your mind. It transforms your life. Has that happened? Have you been given new desires, desires to love Christ? If you're a Christian, I don't want to rip you of your assurance, but you need to ask these questions. This is what it means to be a Christian. A new life. Sorry, a new heart, a new mind, a new life. But lastly, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. Salvation is all of grace from A to Z. Look at verse 39. Let's finish this up. Verse 39. This is such good news. Peter says, For the promise of the gospel is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So those who received his word by faith were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Salvation is a work of God. God must send his Holy Spirit to save you. God must call you, that's what it says, to whom everyone, the gospel's for everyone, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And how does he call you? Right now through the preaching of the gospel, through your conscience, bearing witness to the fact that you are not a Christian. Repent and turn to Jesus. Receive the free gift of salvation. And it is a gift. It cannot be earned. It could only be received. You see that word there? Peter says, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, those who received his word, that's all you have to do. How do you become a Christian? It's the hand. It's, have you ever given money to a beggar? You see them, their heart is just saddened for them, and you give them money. It's a free gift. What do they have to do? They just have to receive it. And it's theirs. And so we receive the gospel. We receive a new heart, a new life, a new mind. By grace, take hold of Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. And save yourself from this crooked generation. You know that this generation is crooked. You know the things that you see on social media are crooked. You know the sin that you've been committing this week is crooked. Save yourselves from this crooked generation and save yourselves from an eternity in hell forever. So my question is, will you receive this promise of salvation in Christ? It's for you. It's for you. It's a free gift. The promise is for you. And so first I want to talk to the believers in here. This isn't A message just for non-believers. This is a message for you. For God's people are a repentant people. They are an alive people. They are a baptized people. They are a forgiven people. And they are a thankful people. Does that characterize you? A heart of thanksgiving. And if you want to know the exact response that they had, the believers, just read verse 42. Their whole lives were changed. And you read on. for those of you that don't know Jesus. Hear me. Everything in this life will leave you and forsake you. I got home from work the other day and Phil and. Jess Sperling are living at our house and Phil got a phone call. His storage unit where all of his stuff uh, for his job, mowers, and you know, for his business, he stores it in this barn, uh, this storage, at, the, at this farm. And he got a call from the owner saying, the whole barn's on fire. Everything has gone. So we rush over there, hop in the car with him. And by God's grace, Phil's stuff was spared. But there was a storage unit that had filled with cars of other people that had all burnt to the ground and this man there, the owner, is just in turmoil. Didn't know what to do. All your things are going to burn. You can't take it with you. That poor man, his whole life was wrapped up in his stuff, and now it's gone. Is your life wrapped up in your sin in this world? Because in one second, it will be gone, and you with it, burning forever and ever and ever in hell, unless the Holy Spirit comes and saves you. By grace, the promise is for you, and I'm smiling because it is for you. (laughs) God is such a gracious God. Will you receive it? Will you call out and cry out to him? I want you to bow your heads. Father God, may you come and indwell the hearts of those who don't know you. Some of you are here And you know you're living a fraud. I want you to know that Jesus came to seek and save you. And He loves you. And salvation is a free gift for you tonight. And if the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart, awakening your heart. I just what I want with everyone's eyes and heads bowed, I want your eyes closed. I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. I want to see. I want you to make a public declaration. I want to see. And I want you to tell your leader. We don't do this often, but I want to give you the opportunity. Who in here wants to receive Jesus? I want to pray with you. I see you putting up your hands. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. My words can't save you, but I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Praise the Lord. Say this, "Father," in your hearts. "Father God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I'm a sinner." And I need your mercy. Please come into my life. Send your Holy Spirit and give me repentance. I turn from my sin, I confess my sin to you. I've broken your law. Oh Lord. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Save me, Lord. I, I love you, Lord. Enter into my heart and help me to trust and give me faith. Amen. Lord, I pray for everyone in here tonight that they would leave changed. Lord, you're at work in this place. We give you all the glory. Transform us. Make us new. Bring a sense of awe to, to this room. We don't need music. We don't need lights. We just need you, Lord. Praise be to God. All heaven rejoices for those that have received the promise. They've trusted in you. Oh, God. You are honored. We give you all the glory tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've received Christ, if you prayed that prayer with me, and in your heart, I want you to tell your leader tonight. Tell your leader. Tell me. I will only meet you with a smile. I will only smile. And and praise the Lord with you. You're dismissed to your life groups.